Welcome to Dykema Gossett's Government Policy Advisors post-election podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jim Brandell, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Mary Beth McGowan and Andy Buchek. Today, we're going to look at the election results and policy implications of the 2020 general election. We'll go through some of the election results and hit some of the top-line policy areas that will be affecting our country as we move forward into the next years to come. Uh, with that, um, Andy, why don't we talk a little bit about the election results? Uh, let's touch base first about the presidential and where things stand and how it looks like it's going to shake out there. All right, let's, let's start with the, the presidential election. I think uh, most folks agree that Joe Biden is uh, poised to be the 46th president of the United States. Um, he's winning in the popular vote by you know, several million votes, uh, a larger margin than Hillary Clinton won the popular vote four years ago. It looks like the electoral college totals are gonna almost match what President Trump did four years ago. If things were to end now with the, the people ahead remaining ahead, I think we would have an identical electoral, electoral college total. So with all of that um, in place, I, I know there are some, uh, some legal challenges that are yet to play out, but from everything that seems apparent to folks that this election is more or less over and that uh, Joe Biden's going to be the 46th president of the United States. So people are starting to look towards a transition and uh, begin planning for it. We saw the first stages of that today with the vice president, the president-elect, announcing his coronavirus task force. And uh, I expect we will see more announcements of that sort um, in the coming days. Excellent. Um, Mary Beth, what, let's turn now to Congress. Let's look at the Senate first off. What, uh, what transpired in the Senate elections? Well, the Senate elections were really still looking at, um, with all eyes now being on Georgia. As so far, Democrats have picked up one Senate seat, but Republicans are retaining the majority unless that the, the two Senate races that are happening in Georgia, um, one is a special election, uh, and one is under the, you know, under the normal Senate schedule for, for, for terms. Um, it, it's, it's looking like they are both going to a runoff. And so if, if they were to get, uh, if the Dems were to pick up those two seats, it would then go to, um, you know, a 50-50 tie in the Senate with vice president, with the vice president uh, breaking the tie. So we're really looking not to that January 5th runoff election date. And when you look at that race, um, the turnout again, like everything we've seen throughout this election is going to be key. It's really is difficult um, when it goes to a runoff to continue to, to get um, more voters out there and to be as energized as they were, you know, going to the polls probably to vote for president. So both parties will be focusing on that. Um, there's gonna be a ton of money uh, that are gonna get poured into to these races because really the, the fate of the Senate is riding, riding on the outcome. Um, I think we're going to see, like a lot of things right now, COVID is probably going to be a big topic and, um, you know, what the numbers are in Georgia and across the country as we, you know, go into 2021 and again, it be, the election being on, on January 5th. So uh, it's, it's, everybody's watching with bated breath as what's going to happen there and, and we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, and that will then determine a lot of then um, if we're going to be talking about um, what the interaction between a divided Congress is going to look like um, with a new, new Democratic administration. 
So it's pretty interesting on those two Senate seats, Mary Beth, um, for January 5th. It looks like President-elect Biden is going to eke out a win in Georgia. But if you look at both of those Senate seats, um, at least in the Kelly Loeffler seat, um, there were more Republican votes overall because it was a divide. It was a, a what do they call a guerrilla primary there um, than Democrat votes. And in the Purdue, it looks like he out um, out distanced himself from the president and actually is the, the the biggest vote getter in that one as well. So it definitely looks like it, it advantages the Republicans at least initially. Um, but you know, time will tell on that. Yeah, I think I think that will be a, a sort of just fascinating to watch because I think you're right to say that Democrats go into this as the underdog, but there is certainly probably more enthusiasm at this point on the Democratic side with Vice President Biden's victory, both in Georgia and, and nationwide. And I think, you know, this race will come down to whether or not Democrats have a chance to sort of continue the momentum, so to speak, in Georgia and uh generate the excitement that's going to be needed for a special election. I think, you know, over history, if you go back and look at these special elections, it's happened a couple times in Louisiana, um, that Democrats thought they had a really good chance to win, only to find out that the turnout dropped off pretty dramatically. I think, you know, this time it's far different set of circumstances with the majority, the Senate majority riding in the balance and the outgoing president poised to have lost this state for the first time. There are all sorts of factors that give Democrats hope, but it certainly, I think they start out as the underdog for sure. And uh, we're gonna see what happens over the next two months. Okay, we will definitely have our eyes on Georgia for sure. But speaking of momentum, uh, not quite the results the, that people were thinking about in the House Representatives, uh, was it Andy? Let's talk a little bit about what uh, transpired in, in the other chamber of, of Congress. No, I, I think that's right. I mean. You know, there's been a lot of criticism of polls and, you know, Joe Biden won, but he didn't match the poll numbers, but the polls still had him ahead. And a lot of those Senate races, the polling was really close, but there wasn't anyone that was predicting that the Republicans were going to make significant gains in the House. And at this point, there's still a number of races that are too close to call. But at this point, Republicans have knocked off at least seven Democratic incumbents. They've yet, the Republicans have yet to lose an incumbent, although there's a couple that are trailing right now as they're still counting votes. Um, and it looks like the Democratic majority is going to get sliced uh, by probably about 10 seats. I think the projections are that Democrats right now are likely to have about an eight seat majority, which I, I, I certainly from the Democratic perspective, nobody saw that coming. I think there might have been a few optimistic Republicans that were hoping for an outcome like that. But even so, I doubt that... Uh, they expected it to happen. So there's definitely going to be some, you know, some internal Democratic uh, debates about what happened and trying to sort of figure out how they didn't uh, end up gaining seats, but in fact, lost some seats. Yeah, I think there's going to be um, a lot of examination of exactly what happened there. Um, but the bottom line is that uh, Nancy Pelosi looks like she's on track to be um, Speaker of the House um, yet again. So um, they still have control and that's what controls yeah, the agenda. That, that's right. It won't, it won't necessarily impact the leadership, but you're already seeing some of the sort of disputes internally on the Democratic side sort of spill into the public between the, the more left progressive side of the party and the more moderate centrist side of the party sort of 
you know, it was mostly the, the, the moderates and the centrists that got beat on election day. Uh, you know, most of them were in districts that President Trump had carried four years ago and were, you know, that those uh, incumbents had won uh, that seat two years ago. And so this was their first defense of that seat. And in a presidential election where a lot of folks return back to sort of their, their political roots, a lot of those moderate Dems lost. And that's where, you know, it gets dicey, where the, the debate going on internally with Democrats is, should they have, you know, do they need to go forward with and be careful and moderate their policies? Or, you know, the more progressive side saying that, hey, we need to embrace these progressive policies and do a better job of communicating them. And if we do that, we'll be okay. And so that is going to play out, not just in the, you know, first few days after the election, but probably all through uh, a president elect Biden's term and, you know, leading into, you know, the, the midterm elections, that debate is going to be sort of back and forth for the course of the next two years. And I'm sure we'll have a lot to do with sort of how aggressive the Democratic agenda in the House is and even how aggressive the president-elect's agenda is in terms of the policies he wants to pursue. Well, on, on that note, um, let's talk about some of the policies. Um, we talked about the results. Now let's talk about the policy implications from these. So let's look um, first, probably post-election um, through the end of this calendar year, especially on what the prospects maybe for a COVID relief package are, and then maybe look at some of the other the areas that are out there. So. Um, you know, what are the prospects now for COVID relief? Do we think it's a little bit more uh, viable to have something passed that they've, that they've been talking about for so long? Or, or what's your thought, Andy? Yeah, I do, actually. You know, negotiations have been going on for months. And, for, you know, by all accounts, there's been very little progress made in terms of getting to the end of an agreement. But for the first time since the negotiations started, it seems as though uh, Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, is injecting himself into this uh, negotiation, which I think bodes well for reaching an agreement since the Senate might be the harder of the two legislative bodies to get this agreement through in the first place. So without the buy-in from the Majority Leader and him having the ability to put a little bit of his stamp on it, I, I think it would have been tough. So the fact that he's engaged now, I think, is important. You know, he's even said that he wants to get it done by the end of the year which again is a positive sign. One of the biggest obstacles in getting legislation related to Corona relief done um, prior to the election was a, a major disagreement over whether or not there should be aid included for state and local governments. And for the first time, the majority leader, Senator McConnell has indicated that he's open to including at least some level of funding for state and local governments. I suspect Democrats and Republicans are still quite a ways apart on what that number should be. But the fact that there's actually a, an agreement to include some aid, again, helps sort of move this forward. And with the, 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 the government's currently funded through December 11th. And so everything is sort of gonna hit the ahead by that point. And I think that you're gonna see some progress made on COVID relief as well as getting some of these spending bills done with, with Congress actually being quite productive um, in this sort of six-week lame duck session, despite a really contentious election that, you know, some folks are still uh, contesting the outcome of. So I, I am pleasantly, I am optimistic that we'll, we'll get a, a resolution here where it didn't look like that was going to be the case just a few weeks ago. 
That's that's fantastic news. And, and speaking of agreements, Mary Beth, what are some areas you think that in the new Congress there can be uh, more policy work that's uh, that, uh, with agreement from both sides since we have a divided Congress that's looking like um, starting in January? What are some of the key policy areas we should be looking at for those agreements? Sure, I think one of the, the top things that is looking like there may be a path forward is, is on infrastructure. Um, as we get into next year and uh, you know, thinking about how to recover uh, from the coronavirus and stimulate the economy. Infrastructure is just always considered uh, one of the ways to do that because of the, the spending that goes into these, the, the, big, the big large projects for roadways, transit, and, and now including water and sewer systems into that and to create jobs. So um, the, the issue is always on, on something like this, on, on, on large ticket and packages and that, that have a high cost is, is how to pay for them. Um, and so that may require um, to Congress to, to dial back maybe what, what they, what they would, would have envisioned under um, just Democrats having control of the three houses. But going forward, it, it will probably, um, they probably, it's probably something that they can do. And how big is still the question and, and does that, does it, is it a traditional highway bill or can they expand um, it to include areas, uh, you know, like broadband and the water and the infrastructure or for schools. And so how, how, how large of an infrastructure package are we looking at? But it's definitely an area I think that both sides would like to focus on. And that, that could really be a point to, to make an accomplishment for, for, for both sides. Um, another area that I think we're going to probably see a lot of action, it may not be, which it may not be in Congress, but more um, on the regulatory side is, is over in the energy environmental area, because that was an area where President Trump used uh, so much of his executive powers to enact policies. Um, taking a look over all the, the past four years, it's been, I think um, there's some estimates that about 75 executive orders that, you know, that you could say uh, impacted air, water, ecosystems, public lands, human health, climate, uh, waste that were all moved through through the executive process. So there's, that's an area where if there may not be um, a, a big climate package, again, because we have the divided Congress, uh, assuming a Republican Senate, then there may be steps that could be taken uh, through the regulatory process for the Biden administration to make some progress and put their stamp in this area. I think one of the, the first things we'll see is pretty much um, you know, accepted is, is that having the United States rejoin the Paris climate uh, agreement, but whether I think that the chances that Congress um, can get to an agreement on climate change and actually uh, put in place uh, some emissions levels for greenhouse gases, I think that's going to be more difficult. So there will, there will just be areas that um, pre President-elect Biden could work around the edges and uh, further some of those policies through the through the regulatory process. Excellent. Jim what, Jim, what issues are you watching now that the election is behind us? What do you think is sort of some of the areas that are ripe for, you know, some, some policy changes? Well, in speaking of the, you know, using the keyword agreement, as we talked about, I think one of the areas is on uh, some tax policy, like on retirement security uh, tax policy. We've already seen a second bill from uh, House Ways and Means Chairman Richard Neal and, um, and Ranking Member Kevin Brady 
uh, come out uh, before the election called uh, their Secure Act 2.0 is what they're calling it at this point um, on additional uh, ways to and, um, encourage retirement savings and security for Americans. And I think that's an, uh, an area where I think you can see some agreement in the new Congress, even with a divided Congress in the House and Senate, where um, tax policy that encourages retirement savings moving forward in some, in some fashion. We know that in the Senate, um, Senators Portman and Cardin have long been championing many different bills in those areas as well. And we uh, expect that to, to definitely uh, see some movement in the, in the new Congress. Um, however, in the tax policy, I think the things that you won't see moving that some people uh, feared were uh, big changes to corporate tax uh, and international tax and in some of those areas. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty on what may or may not happen in a Biden administration initially on on some of his big num uh, marquee areas of, of re retooling the tax code from what the Republicans did in their tax reform bill in 2017. And with the makeup of Congress, it doesn't really look like they're going to have an opportunity to do that. So whether it's re the, retire uh, the inheritance tax, um, uh, international uh, and uh, corporate rates, as well as individual rates, I think that uh, those are going to be probably left, um, you know, at, the, at the, where they are now. Now, when it comes to infrastructure, there's going to have to be some ways to fund infrastructure. So they may come together on, on some of these and around the edges to find ways for that. And obviously, Social Security is always a perennial issue uh, on that. While I don't think it's going to be any big changes and bold changes like um, like Biden may have wanted with um, increased uh, increased rates on folks, they may find some ways, uh, some path forwards that are more bipartisan that have been working on through the year. So I wouldn't I wouldn't take that completely off the table. Um, but there's definitely a lot of areas out there um, that we've just uh, touched on here and in, in just in this podcast on tax infrastructure, so forth. And uh, we're going to be doing follow ups podcasts on a lot of these issues, as well as the transition as we move forward. There's a lot to cover in the public policy space that I know that our listeners are interested in, uh, and we'll be looking at those in the uh, weeks and months ahead. So we encourage everyone to continue to uh, follow Dykema on social media uh, sites such as LinkedIn and others, where we'll be posting all our outlooks and in podcasts. So we thank all of you for uh, joining us today as we talk about the election results and these policy implications, and we look forward to you joining us again in the future. So thank you.